Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. We're getting towards the end of the year. Uh, Gail and I have this show and one more show that we want to do before we take a little bit of a break and come to you fresh in January. So we're going to do this show, which is going to be our winter preview. And then next week we're going to do, we're going to talk about superlatives like we usually talk about at the end of the year, like what was the strangest book we read, the best book we read, the worst book we read, all those things. Uh, and, and then I guess just talk about the year in review. 2020 has been something else. <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> this has been some year. I mean, I remember probably being around this time last year in 2019 and just, you know, just ready to put 2019 behind me because it had been a challenging year and just like ready to do fun things with friends and, you know, just kind of shake it off a little. And then 2020 <laughs> happened. So <laughs> maybe this year oh, I will not God. be so ambitious so as to not be smacked down, but <laughs> yeah. Your right. Yeah. Very it's just low. like, you know, maybe we clear up the pandemic <laughs> and we slowly get back to being able to do things will be good enough for me. Yeah, like no yeah. grand ambitious. This is going to be the best year of my life. <laughs> yeah. I think that's wise. Um, Sadly enough. So I'm look. I'm, happy about the show because I feel like it is forward focus. We can really concentrate on things that we're looking forward to, you know, like, I don't know. It was interesting as I was looking through my list for the winter preview and trying to like get things together. There were so many books that we talked about in the fall that it, you know, they didn't come out. A lot of shuffling happened in publishing with the coronavirus, um, you know, lots of people or publishing houses or whatever, they decided to delay certain titles to make sure they got a lot of attention. And I think a lot of them were delayed in the fall, but even from when we did our fall preview or summer preview or even winter preview last year, I feel like there's some books that are popping up that just did not come out. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, they didn't come out. So I didn't put those on my list, but I did make note of a few of them that I had mentioned to just briefly mention again that we were super excited about this book. It did not come out when we thought it was going to come out. And now it's slated for winter of uh, 2021. So, uh, so Gail, what have you been reading? Because we'll get to what we've been reading. We have a little bit of book news. I do want to quickly go over the Goodreads winners. So what have you... And I've what have you been reading? Yeah. Let's see. Okay. I've finished a couple of things since we last talked. Um, I read a book called Big Girl, Small Town by Michelle Gallen. Which I've seen is, that. That's getting um, a little bit of buzz around. Oh, good. I'm glad that it's getting some buzz. So this is one of those books that's billed as uproariously funny or Ooh. 
darkly humorous. And yeah, I I'm say, afraid already. Yeah. I don't, I did not find it funny. Um, it doesn't mean I didn't like it. I just didn't find it funny. So right. it, yeah, it's a book about a, a woman in Northern Ireland. I think it takes place in the nineties. It's kind of unspecified, but I think it's the nineties. Um, although, you know, she does use her phone. So maybe it's not the nineties. I don't think it's today, but it's, I mean, we you know, within the last in the 90s, 10, right? Okay. Did we? I don't think we did. I don't think we did. So she lives in Northern I Ireland. I feel like I've always um, had a phone, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think we did, actually. I think I got my first phone around early 2000s. So mm. anyway. Maybe it was email. Okay. Yeah, anyway, email. yes. She is... Uh, there's a little hint in the book that she is on the spectrum. Um, she's, you know, not great with sort of like figuring out social cues. She lives with her mother, who's an alcoholic. Her father has disappeared. Um, she's got, lives this sort of very small town life working at like a fish and chips restaurant at night. And it's very much just about her daily life. And there's a lot of kind of regulars that come into the restaurant and it's, it's definitely not a funny book. I mean, there's some funny observations throughout it, but it's certainly not an, a, a funny read. It's a touching read and it's good. It's got a lot of, um, of Irish vernacular. There's actually the author's website has a glossary, which I did consult mm. on several occasions because I had no idea what the word meant. Um, okay. And so I, I liked it and it's definitely buzzy. It's definitely literary fiction. This is not a like a light, fast read. Um, it's not a very long book, but it just takes a while to get through, especially because so much, it's hard to read quickly because of the language. Um, but it was good. It was good. And it's, it's memorable. And I liked the character and you, you know, you really feel for her and you kind of get a sense at the end of the book that her life is going to somehow get better. She, there's a few things that happen that make you think that she'll, sort of break out of this routine she's been living in, this kind of sad routine. So it was good. If, you, if you're if you a fan of like Eleanor Oliphant, I would say this might be, you know, up your alley. I didn't find Eleanor Oliphant funny at all. And some people call that like, you know, darkly funny as well. So anyway, I was invited to be on a blog tour for this book. I, would I have picked it up on my own? I'm not sure, but I'm kind of glad I did because, you know, it was it gave me an excuse to read it. Well, what appealed to it? I mean, what appealed to you about it that made you say yes? To made me say yes. Or? Yeah, I don't know. I liked the. You know why? I I thought it was going to be bleeping and gloriously funny. No, oh, okay. I don't think I thought it'd be like normal people. I think I I think I like took the billing at its word. Like I thought mm. it was going to be funny. You know, I was like, oh, it's going <laughs> to be this like workplace dark workplace comedy and it just is not it's, it's just, like oh gail have you learned nothing <laughs> yeah right why do i fall <laughs> for this um i don't know because you know they pitch you these blog tours and they're like several months away and i'm like oh december i'm not gonna have much to do in december i mean meanwhile i'm so screwed because we're, we're recording this on december the 14th i have i still have three books to finish for my reading challenge and I'm like, uh, you know, I, it's also December, even though it's the pandemic year, there's still like some busyness and things I need to do and, you know, end of year stuff. So I, I'm a little screwed. Um, but I don't know. I, I said yes. And that was that. Um, 
I also read a book that Nicole, you had recommended and Ooh, which, which I don't know this? if you've read good talk near Jacob. I know oh, you wanted I to read. I love that. No, no, so I good. read that and it's so good. So good. It's so a this, graphic novel. This woman, it was graphic really memoir, interesting. Actually. Yeah. Graphic memoir. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was not a novel. It, was, it is based on her life. And I saw her speak on a panel, I think at like Random House had an open house and she was one of the panelists. And she talked about learning how to draw specifically to tell this story. So the drawing is in in this graphic memoir is not sophisticated. The author does it herself, but I really love this. I mean, I think everyone should read it. Mm-hmm. And it's also the drawings... Um, it's funny you say it's not sophisticated. That's true. But I thought it was super effective because what she does is she draws the main characters, her, her, her best friends, her in-laws, her husband, her son. Right. And so every image is the same. So every time she's depicting mm-hmm. herself, she has the same image, which I thought was nice for continuity. And then against the, the backdrop is a photograph. In every frame, it's a photograph of something, a real life thing. So it's, it may not be super sophisticated as far as graphic memoirs go or graphic novels go, but I thought it was really good and very striking and very easy to read. And it's all about race. It's about her son asking questions about, you know, she's, she's Indian. Her, um, her husband is white and Jewish. And so her son and they're is from Texas, right? They're they from both Albuquerque. Grew up in Texas or Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah, and Albuquerque, right. And although they weren't, they didn't really know each other in high school, they sort of re-met in New York years and years later. And her son asks questions that he's got brown skin and he's asking about Michael Jackson. That's kind of how the whole thing gets started. And he asks a lot of very difficult to answer questions about race. Like, why do people with different skin color get treated differently? And, you know, what is this said against the the backdrop of... Uh, Trump being elected as president, and right. she goes a little into how her in-laws are Trump supporters, and right, and how hurt she is by the fact that they support Trump when she feels that it's like a personal. She takes it very personally that like they're supporting somebody who, uh, you know, discriminates against her, against you know immigrants her and son. Indians and, and her son. Um, and I like that there's a lot of questions that she raises that she doesn't try to answer them. She's just like, these are really difficult things. Yeah. A lot of the questions she says, these are questions that I had as like an Indian woman growing up in New Mexico in a predominantly white society where she was raised and she was told that these things were going to be either resolved in her lifetime or that people were making progress so it's a little disheartening to have to have these conversations with her son in what, 2018, 2017. Right. Well, I guess this is pre-election. So maybe 2015, I guess, 2015, 2016. Uh, yeah. She had hoped to be participating or be a part of a world that has kind of progressed more than it has. And I guess, like you said, she does not necessarily tell, have like, these pat answers for her son, but it's more like, these are things that I felt like we would resolve and we have not. And how do I explain? Right. 
So I read that. Um, I also read a book called Heating and Cooling by Beth Ann Fennelly. And I don't remember how I learned about this book, but I did. I added it to my you know, list at the library and it came in and I read it. And it's, they're called micro memoirs. So they're very short little entries. Some are, some are almost poetry. I think she's actually a poet. Um, and some are just short, you know, paragraph or page or two chapters, just about her life and relationships. And they're very, those are actually, I would call them darkly funny. They're, um, they're just like, they're very touching in a lot of ways. Um, and you know how poets have such economy with words, like they can communicate something very emotional in a very short amount of words. That's how I felt about this. She talks about like her sister's death and her mother's diagnosis of cancer. She talks about being a mother and being a wife. And they're just, I don't know, it's a short read. Like you can knock this book out probably in an hour, two hours. But um, it just, I really liked it a lot. So again, I don't know, probably no one's ever heard of this book before, but I really liked it. Yeah, this is my first time hearing about it. Yeah. Um, And then as far as what I'm reading now uh, on audio, I'm getting close to the end of the book that you and I are both reading for our January podcast. Um, Are we supposed to keep that a surprise or can I say what it is? Sure, you can. Say, I'm, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So oh, yes, Anne of Green Gables. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Nicole and I are going to be doing a show in January with a guest, and we're going to be talking about the book Anne of Green Gables as a childhood. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be January though. Okay. Well, we may record it in January or yeah. sometime Q1. <laughs> uh, well, the good news is I will have read it already because <laughs> I'm almost done with it. I'm doing so that give me on audio. Yet, how are you feeling about it? Has it held oh, up? Oh, that's a good question. Has it held up? This is a tough year to be reading a very innocent, uh, light book about a girl growing up in Prince Edward Island in the 1800s. Or okay. The, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like, say I, no more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very sweet and... I actually don't remember reading. I, I think I did read this as a kid. I just don't remember it. So I, it's as if I'm experiencing it anew. Um, it's a sweet book. Uh, it just does not feel like it's, it's, it's definitely like feels very quaint compared to the the world we're living in right now. So I like it. Um, I will be glad when it's done and I doing it on audio, which is just long, you know, like it's a lot of hours. And so, I mean, it's not a lot of hours uh, as audiobooks go. It's just a lot of hours to be spending with this book because it's slower to do audio than print. Um, Right. And so, yeah, I like it, um, but I'm kind of ready for a little more edge. (laughs) So interesting. Have you, have you picked it up yet? I did. And I started, uh, I have the book and I think I tried to read a few chapters and switched over to audio, which I think I recommend it to you that like that's mm-hmm. a good way to revisit it. I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I watched the Netflix show. I've seen a bunch of like the movies, the animated series, the series, just taking a look at it. And uh, I have some interesting thoughts or I just think it's interesting the way it has been 
translated and updated. Um, I don't know. I think it it will be an interesting discussion, but I definitely do think that it is, as you say, just kind of really naive and um, just, I don't know, some things I just feel like so many of us are in so many different places, like maybe something like this that's kind of innocently fantastical you can really get with, or some people you you need to go other place, like you need to go to the other side and read darker things in order to relate to them. This has just been a really interesting year in terms of reading for me, I feel like. Yeah. And taught me a lot about, you know, how much reading I was doing and what it meant about how I felt about my world and my environment or whatever. And what do you read when it seems like the world is falling apart? You know, can, can you read it all? Like I had difficulty sometimes, sometimes I latch on certain books. So as with everything, 2020 has just, it's been an eye opener. Yeah. I also think 2020 aside that books aimed at this age group, which I'm going to say is kind of middle grade fiction, they are just darker now. They just, they're more realistic. They have kids in more realistic situations. You know, it could be like parents divorced or racism. You know, this book, yeah, she's an orphan, but her life now that, you know, once she finds her home is pretty charmed. And, you know, the little scrapes and misadventures she gets into over the chapters are very benign. And uh, I don't know, it, it feels, it does feel kind of dated to me, but we can save the rest of this conversation for when we have the show uh, where we're going to talk about it. But yeah, so it's, I'll be, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to finishing. I'd say I'm like 80 to 85% done. So you don't find her endearing. You're just like, I, mean, I just she want is, it to be over. I mean, she <laughs> is endearing, but like after so many chapters, I'm kind of like, okay, like, you know, <laughs> that's something else. All right. What are you reading? All right. So I'm not reading anything so light as Anne of Green Gables or anything like that. I feel like I have just fully embraced mysteries, just reading mysteries and, and dark darker mysteries and stories right now. Um, those are the things that are pulling me through. I think I have my moments where it's like something in particular that I feel like I fall head first in, but I did read One by One by Ruth Ware. I mean, this is not like super dark and in a sense, it's almost kind of like cozying up to a former self who loved mysteries who read Agatha Christie. I think that Ruth Ware is someone who gets a lot of comparisons to Agatha Christie, just because I feel like she tends to do these locked room mysteries, you know, just sort of walling out the outside world, you know, whether it's people who have gone away on a mountain retreat or people who go home to visit, you know, like friends they've lost touch with, but they all stay at a different house. She seems to have these novels that kind of embrace, uh, yeah, people being alone with people that they know intimately and something goes wrong. So One by One, which I enjoyed quite a bit, is about um, 
it is a tech company who is on the cusp of making a decision on whether they're going to like fund, you know, have an IPO or whether they're going to be bought out by a, a private investor. So they are going to this retreat. So it's like the high level management plus their assistants and they're going away to this ski retreat uh, to talk about some of these questions and, and, and bond over skiing. So of course they get there. It's this super swanky resort. Um, they have been having problems with avalanches. And of course, before the end of, of their retreat, there is an avalanche that happens. One of the founders goes missing and there is a very much kind of like who done it, you know, like who had a motive to kill this founder uh, one by one, other people in their group start to disappear. I've read books like this, I guess, to uh, different levels of whether it's interesting or whether it's good. So I think she did a good job with this one. I was like engrossed from the beginning. It's told from two points of view. Both of the narrators are females, and I would think that they are kind of outsiders into their group. One is the woman who is responsible for the group while they stay at the ski resort. So she has this kind of past that's mysterious that we find out more about. And then the other woman whose perspective we get is also an outsider in that she was originally part of this tech company that is on this retreat. Uh, she started out as an assistant. She left as an investor and they have kind of like roped her back in to be the tiebreaker. And this is not something that she necessarily wants to do. And it just spins off from there. So I thought it was well done. I also really liked how uh, it was not a novel that ended abruptly in terms of them being saved and it was over. Like you really got a chance to spend time with people and and, and find out why this happened. So it wasn't like, you know, some novels, you just have the kitchen sink thrown at you at the end, but you definitely get a chance to spend time with the people who are perpetrating the event and and figure out what their motivations are. So I really like that. Okay. And then I read The Golden Cage. Oh, what did you think? I don't know. I didn't love this one. Okay. Um, I read another book by her. I had read her book called The Drowning. She writes a detective um, series. The detective's name, I think, is Patrick Hedstrom. I think this is the same series as uh, the characters who are in The Drowning. So I don't know. I just think that when you've been writing a mystery story, probably over several books, you know, the characters get to know each other and they have like such a rich background. And there was just like a lot of things that I felt were lacking in this book as a standalone. And I know we had kind of discussed uh, maybe having this as a book club pick. So I think that would be interesting to to get into the weeds of um, what I thought of her previous books, why I didn't think that this one particularly worked or whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't find the sex sexy either. No, it's not. It's very transactional. I mean, they describe this as this like sexy novel. Yeah, it's really transactional. It's usually like a woman bent over a desk, wanting it harder and harder. And it was just like, really? And then I looked at the translator and I was like, this is a guy. So I don't know if (laughs) 
who translated her books before. Like it could be just, it's just a much richer experience with her series when she's had several books with these, with her characters. And this was kind of like a standalone. I just found it very cold. I found the sex like really cold. Um, the, the progressions of the characters were just fantastical. Like I'm going to start this company and it's like the hardest thing to break into in the world, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to be on top of everything in three years. It was just, yeah. And the company, everything was just over the top. Yeah. And the company she creates is like not anything special. So you're like, how is this company all of a sudden going to like overtake give her enough money to exactly this is run of the mill this isn't fleshed out she hasn't done the research but she's at the top of her game so she can continue on with what it is that she wants to do so i had a lot of issues with that i was a little disappointed because some of her books i've really enjoyed and this one yeah yeah just i will say about it though it was hard to put down yeah you definitely want to know what happens and i feel like there are certain things that I would want to ask you because there are things that you find out about her as a character early on in the book. And I just kind of wonder, like, with the things that you find out about her, would I have had a different reaction to her if I had found these out a little bit later or mm-hmm. or why certain things come up at a certain point? So, yeah. So I got to watch a Christmas show. I watched Happiest Season. Oh, I watched that too. Did you like it? Is this the Kristen Stewart one? Yes. Yes, I did like it. Did you like it? I felt like I was rooting for the wrong people, so I didn't love it. Oh, because I the it was uh, good overall and what they were going to do or whatever, but I just think it's terrible when you don't root for the people to be together cuz like No, you wanted her to be with Aubrey main- Plaza, right? Yeah, I wanted her to. Yeah, I wanted her to be yeah. with the woman who was like ditched in high school because she was. I mean, her girlfriend was terrible. Yeah, awful. I'm just excited because it's like the first Christmas movie I've ever watched. So <laughs> I was, I was totally into it. Now, granted, I was in quarantine in my bedroom, and oh, I needed. So- I needed um, something. You were kind of desperate. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't say I was desperate. God knows I have enough things I could have watched. I just wanted something uh, distracting. And it was it was great. It was. I thought it was good. I thought Kristen Stewart was really good. It was cute. But yeah, you're right. The girlfriend was horrible and you didn't really want them to end up together. That's true. I know. I, just, I was just like, why is she hooking up with her? I want her with the other woman. So... I don't know. I think that that's kind of a fail when you don't want the two mains to be together because usually it's terrible acting. You know, the premise is totally implausible, but you like them. They're cute. Whatever happens, you want them to get together. Her, I was just like, oh God, you need to just dump this woman. Well, she tried to dump the woman, but then she came back. Yeah. I hear you. It was a good cast. Kristen Stewart and the guy from Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm waiting for Shonda to come in with her colorblind casting with the historical fiction romance. Uh, I saw a couple of other ones. Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child is in (laughs) a Christmas movie, so I have to check that out. Uh, Kat Graham, who was in The Vampire Diaries, was in a Christmas movie. 
I think on Netflix. I can't remember the name, but it was so terrible. It was so terrible that I didn't finish. And that's saying a lot. I mean, because all of these are terrible, but it was just, it was really bad. Wow. All right. So we are running long. So let's just really quickly get into the news. Maybe we won't mention as many things, or maybe I'll just mention things super briefly. I already mentioned Bridgerton that I'm so excited about it and it's coming. It's on Christmas day. Unlike that Thanksgiving show that I don't know what happened to, and I still can't (laughs) remember what it was that I was supposed to watch or tell people about. Uh, Julia Roberts is going to be in a movie that the book hasn't even come out yet. And it's a Laura Dave novel. I feel like you've read Laura Dave, have you? Uh, I read something by her and I did not like it. Mm. I read something by her. I liked it. It was light, but this is kind of like, is I think is going to be more of a drama. Yeah, I think that is going to have more heft to it. I think she's kind of trying to branch out a little into the, you know, like something is wrong in the marriage, someone goes missing or... Mm. Oh, like I think a, I read yeah. about that. Sounds familiar. Yeah. So she's, I mean, Julia Roberts is already um, is set to star in this. It's not out yet. I think it's coming out in May. Okay. Uh, so in my last bit of news before we get into the Goodreads, um, winners is that Barnes and Noble, you know, they've been through so much. I think they had kind of been invested in by a private equity company. They have gone through a bunch of different things with CEOs, but now finally they have a CEO. And I think he was responsible for the turnaround of bookstores in the UK. I think their brands is Waterstones, mm-hmm. but he's here now and he has finally decided to give the Barnes and Nobles across the United States autonomy in terms of selecting the books that people encounter when they come in. Because I guess this was uh, decided on the brand level. So basically you had a bunch of whoever was making these decisions and no matter what market you were in or what city and what differences the cities might have, they all had the same books on the shelves. So now they are delegating some of that to the managers of the stores and they can cater to regional needs of people, you know, just like, because not every place is the same. I mean, the books in New York are are not going to resonate in the South or, or maybe in the Southwest. So I think that's a positive. What took them so effing long to figure that out? Like, I can't stand Barnes and Noble. There was one near my office and I just, I couldn't even go in it because it never had any books I wanted. It always had lowest common denominator fiction. And I was like, it, it, it just made me so depressed and angry every time I went in there. So like, thank God. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, dictating everything. I mean, if you're having people in New York who are doing it, I mean, the sensibilities are just so different. You know, the things that you think about um, depending on where you are in the region or whatever can be so different. And you just can't assume that every place is the same. So, you know, I think that this is a good thing for them. I mean, no one wishes any book club or anything that's employing lots of people to go out of business. So if this is something that can gain traction and get people more interested in buying, like I'm, I'm curious to see how it develops over 
you know, the months and the year and, you know, hopefully it works out for them. Um, I have some book news. I'm almost like too sad to even say this. Oh boy. I think I told you this already, but book expo is no more. Really? You didn't tell me this. I didn't tell you this. No. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's not the, the company that used to put on book expo has basically said something. Wait, what did you, what did you say it was called? Like read, read. Yeah. Reads. Right. Yes. They've basically said they're not bringing back Book Expo, in it, at least in its previous iteration, that they're going to investigate uh, alternatives that might be virtual slash in person, but it will not return in its prior form. Which, wow. as you know, makes me very sad because it was like one of the highlights of my year. Yeah. So, you know, this year was obviously really tough. They they postponed it from May to July, then they ultimately canceled it. They put on sort of a very emaciated online version. Um, and, and, you know, I, everyone's been say, complaining about Book Expo for years, especially people in the industry, like, you know, not people like me who just <laughs> don't like to go. People who, like, actually, you know, have to spend all that money to put up a booth. And ever, I think for many years, publishers have been complaining that they don't get the ROI from it. It was so expensive and on and on. So I guess I get it, but I'm just so sad. And I wonder if this year hadn't happened, if, if they would have come to this conclusion. Well, I mean, I think that's the big thing about 2020 is that it just killed off things that were kind of limping along that maybe over the next five years, we would have found out that they were going to be no more, but just overnight, they were just really not viable. Kind of like what happened with a lot of the retail stores. Yeah. Right. Like places that were Uh, doing okay, but not, you know. Right. And I can see how this was going to come. I mean, because Book Expo is kind of a relic of when information was not able to travel as quickly. I mean, right now you can, you can shoot out an email, you can set up a webinar, you can do so many things to get in touch with people out about books or give them information about books that there is no, I mean, there's just no need to like, Right. All ass across country, <laughs> right? To spend a week getting this information that you know that is able to be easily divulged, I guess. I mean, and right. half the time when we would be there, a lot of times I wouldn't even pick up arcs or galleys or something. I mean, it was just a matter of making a note of a publisher and saying, Oh, I can just email them later on. Yeah, well, I'm sad. It's a nice time to meet with friends and people that you talk with online all year, whatever, and right. you get a chance to see them. See because they come and this was, yeah, this was our, our chance to see our each other gathering. I see you once a year, maybe right. twice a year, depending on if, if, um, my friend goes to her conference in DC. <laughs> right. It's another thing that fell by the wayside this year. So, right. So I'm sad. We'll just have to be more explicit in our visits. The other thing I wanted to note before we get to the Goodreads choice is that the New York Times over the weekend came out with their 10 best books of the year. And I don't know, a little surprised by a few of them. Um, 
the five fiction books, The Vanishing Half, Homeland Elegies, Deacon King Kong, um, A Children's Bible, and Hamnet. So of that, I've only read one. Uh, Were those I, the top five? Those are the top five fiction. And then the best five nonfiction were called Shakespeare in a Divided America, Hidden Valley Road, Uncanny Valley. I was really surprised to see that on there, but kind of happy because I liked it. Um, a Promised Land by Barack Obama and War, How Conflicts Shaped Us. I mean, I liked, well, I liked two thirds of Unhappy Valley. Is that it? Unhappy Valley? Uncanny Valley. Uncanny Valley. Um, yeah, I liked about two thirds of that. I mean, and I enjoyed it, but it seems like kind of weak for nonfiction to make it. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised. It definitely was surprised. Um, so the vanishing half has been on like every top 10 list. I'm not so sure I would put it there, but it's been on there. And, uh, you know, I think with that one, like I had problems with it because I felt like it was so much I wanted to know. And I feel like maybe that's not a a reflection on the book necessarily. Like she's prompting these questions that you kind of, that we want to know that we don't get answers to necessarily. I feel like the more time I spend thinking about that book, the more that I like it and the more that I'm impressed by what she did with it. Hmm. I would put it there. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I just wanted to mention that. And then Goodreads Choice. So the Goodreads Choice Awards were mentioned. um, They were announced on December 8th. And so they got a ton of press. I was surprised to see the place. There was like a press release on NBC News that I was not expecting (laughs) on the Goodreads Choice Awards. Of course, they bill themselves as the only awards where readers get a chance to choose the books that, you know, are the best for them. And of course, there it is problematic in the sense that we talked about it before, that there, you know, Barack Obama, Promised Land, it won, I guess, best memoir, best nonfiction book. And it was not even out. <laughs> right. right. It wasn't even out at the time that the voting commenced, but yet there it is. So that was yeah. kind of interesting. Also, it's some strange, they categorize books in a weird way, like books that are, I think The Vanishing Half is historical fiction, which I thought was weird. Well, no, I mean, when you think about it, when you think about the fact that the definition for historical fiction, I think is what, 50 to 60 years and it took place, or is it 40 years? But it took place in the 80s, which I guess is technically historical fiction at this point. Oh, that's so depressing. If you use <laughs> <laughs> God. You use it as a, the 40-year range that's or whatever. True, yeah. <laughs> well, no. I mean, no, but the girls were in the 80s, but it, it dealt with they their have the parents, rights to like their, the their moms. Right? Yeah, that's right. So I don't, I don't think you have to be worried yet, Gail. All right, good. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I thought, like looking at those lists, I did, I just thought there were some books and I, it's interesting that they say that the readers get to choose. No, the readers get to choose among the choices given to them, right? I don't think that they're, are they based on ratings? I mean, do they use, do they crowdsource the ratings to decide what the top 
contenders are? No, I don't think that they, I don't know. I mean, see, Goodreads is interesting because I feel like this really skews young for the most part, because most of the times when you see the books that are on their, like whatever's coming out of the month list, it's their 200 biggest books of the month. It's always YA. a lot of YA. You know, you, yeah. you do get some adult um, fiction books mixed in there and I think less nonfiction. So, I mean, I do, I do think that you can definitely look at this, the list that you see is usually something that has been really publisher driven that, that people have been behind or, you know, are the books, it seems like it's popularity contest It's the books mm-hmm. that have been picked for the, you know, the different today show book clubs or read with, you know, read with Jenna or, or whatever, wherever they're coming from. I do think that they are books that just have a lot of, um, a lot of work behind them. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely, they let you write in other books, but you know, how effective is that going to be? And two, I think that people probably tend to vote for books that they might not necessarily, it's the book that you know, right? Yeah. As opposed to you finish several of them, like you'll look at a category and I'll be like, well, this is the one book that I've read. It was all right, but it's the book that I've read. So it's the book that you vote for. Yeah. It's totally unscientific. And I just, yeah. So Vanishing Half did win for historical fiction, The Guest List, Mystery and Thriller by Lucy, Lucy Foley. And I had read her book last year that I didn't really love, but I'm kind of intrigued by The Guest List. Uh, to see if it's better. Horror was Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Uh, memoir and Autobiography was A Promised Land by Barack Obama. Uh, Such a Fun Age one, debut novel. <laughs> In a Garden one, food and cookbooks were her <laughs> modern comfort food. You know, she was definitely popular at the beginning of quarantine with that massive mm-hmm. drink that she made. And everyone was like, oh yeah. <laughs> So we will link out to the best books of 2020, according to Goodreads and also the New York Times list that Gail mentioned. Uh, so are we ready to get yes. into, this is like, this has been a super long introduction. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. All right. So, all right. We have not compared notes. As always. No, we have not compared notes. We haven't compared notes as always. I think I just got to the very beginning of March with my list. Uh, I do have a, a few books, like we usually do a rundown of books that we're not going to really talk about a lot, but that we may have mentioned in the past. And I have a couple of those books because there were some books that are coming out in the winter that I know that I had on my fall list. So I will just list those out and uh, and talk about some other books. So, Gail, what do you, do you have anything in that? I have one book, which is one we've mentioned before, which was uh, when you and I talked about the speed dating event that we went to, I had mentioned a book called Send for Me by Lauren Fox, which is a historical fiction from an author I really love. And it's a World War II book. And I don't usually love World War II books, but this was based on uh, some letters, I think, that were written by people in her family. But So they were based on real life letters. 
So that's the only one I have on here that I think is something we've mentioned before. And that one comes out on February 2nd. It's called Send For Me by Lauren Fox. All right. So briefly, I will mention The Mystery of Mrs. Christie by Marie Benedict, which we had mentioned in the fall. I think I mentioned it in the fall. And that is about these 11 mysterious days when when uh, Agatha Christie goes missing. Uh, Michael Farris Smith is an author that I've read before. And he has a new novel out called Nick, which is about the narrator of The Great Gatsby and what is going on in his life before he meets The Great Gatsby. Uh, there's The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins, which is supposed to be basically, I think it's uh, Jane Eyre, like a retelling of Jane Eyre. So No Heaven for Good Boys by Keisha Bush is also a novel that I had mentioned earlier in the year. And uh, I had also mentioned Before She Disappeared by Lisa Gardner because I actually read that and it's coming out, I believe, in late January, early February. So those are the ones I'm just going to mention briefly because either we've mentioned them before um, and it'll be very easy to look those up. So what's your first book, Gail? Okay, my first book is called We Run the Tides, February 9th by Vendela Vida. And this is a book set in San Francisco and um, about two girls that were friends in school. And one day walking to school, they see something horrible happen, but they disagree on what happened. And it ruptures their friendship, and then one of them disappears. And so then I think it looks back later um, at these teenage years and sort of tries to figure out what actually happened during that time. So it's a mystery. It says a tribute to the wonders of youth. And I like that it is set in a pre-tech boom San Francisco. So back when San Francisco was so kind of... um, weird and you know quirky and its old self uh it took place then too so i've seen this book around it looks like it's getting some play in fact i've seen i've um, i think i've seen it listed as a potential january book of the month pick oh yeah you're in all, all those little spoiler groups yeah I am in some spoiler groups and i think that i i think i recently saw someone post that this was a potential pick All right. My pick is The Charmed Wife by Olga Grushin. And this is the kind of story that I really like. It's a retelling. Uh, Cinderella has married the man of her dreams. But this is a novel that gets into what happens after, happily ever after. You know, you always wonder, like, you know, they marry and, like, do they really stay happily married? So, anyway, Cinderella is she's fed up, she's exhausted, she sneaks out of the palace, she meets this witch woman or whatever, who, you know, for a price she will, she like puts together potions for people who like, I don't know, need their husbands to stay in love with them or whatever. So Cinderella has snuck out, she meets this woman, this woman is doing her thing with the potion, she's throwing in this and that. She's throwing in her last ingredients, except for when she asks Cinderella what she wants, like, 
you know, she's expecting Cinderella to ask for some kind of spell to win back Prince Charming or to make him love her or whatever. But she says that she wants him dead. (laughs) So it's magical. It's dark. Um, and it sounds really interesting. It's supposed to be set into a fan, in a fantasy Manhattan. It sounds really different. I love retellings. I mean, this is not kind of what I had in mind with Cinderella wanting Prince Charming dead, but I'm up for it. This sounds like, up let's your see, alley. Let's see what it's like. Yeah. Um, okay. So my next one is called The Kindest Lie by Nancy Johnson. And it's about a, um, it's 2008 and it's, uh, an Ivy league educated black engineer is married to a kind and successful man. And he wants them to have kids, but she is holding back because she gave birth to and abandoned a child when she was a teenager. So she decides she needs to make peace with her past before she can move on with her future. So she goes back to Indiana, which is where she's from. And there she starts digging into the past and she uncovers secrets that her family wants to hide. And she becomes friends with a young white boy who is also adrift and looking for connection. So this is a book that says it examines, examines the heartbreaking divide between black and white communities and plums the emotional depths of the struggles faced by ordinary Americans in the wake of the financial crisis. So sounded good to me. Um, and I think that I also saw this mentioned as a potential um, book of the month pick. You're going to have such a decision on your hands then. Yeah, because what I need is more books. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So my next book is Possession by Katie Lowe. She came out with a book that I had read a couple of years ago. And it was this really strange novel about this this lotus fruit that people would eat, I believe, to, I'm, now I'm, I'm wondering if this is her. Maybe this is not her. Anyway, so possession is, <laughs> it is a topic that I'm really interested in because, you know, I listened to Serial when it first came out and it was the first podcast that delved into possibly the wrong co- conviction of Adnan Syed. So there have been a couple of books and a couple of, I guess, pieces, series that have developed on looking at the phenomena of podcasts and how they relate in terms of uh, bringing things to light, shedding more light on things and opening investigations. So this one, it's a psychological thriller about a woman whose husband was murdered and there is a true tri- true crime podcast that digs up all the secrets that she's tried to keep buried. So obviously there is something that she does not want to be revealed about her husband's death. The tagline is the past haunts her, the present haunts her. So yeah. this novel is Possession by Katie Lowe. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, okay, so my next one is called What Could Be Saved by Lisa Schwartz, or Lisa, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, L-I-E-S-E. And um, this one really caught my eye, and I think that Susie at Novel Visits just finished it and said it was great. So 
This is about um, a, it toggles back and forth between Bangkok in 1972 and Washington, D.C. in 2019. And in, two, in 1972, there was expat Americans living in Bangkok and they have, I believe, three kids and then one of the children disappears, a son disappears. And then in 2019, you have the two sisters and they're living in DC and then a stranger contacts them claiming to be their brother who disappeared 40 years earlier. So I think it's a family drama, maybe more of a family drama than a thriller, but it says alternating between past and present as all of the secrets are revealed. It's an unforgettable novel about a family shattered by loss and betrayal and the beauty and hope that can exist even in the midst of brokenness. I think it's so interesting that we are leaning towards uh, those things where there's a little bit of, whether it's full on mystery or not full on thriller that we just want that. Mm-hmm. It just kind of helps pull you through. Yeah. Keeps your attention. All right. So my next one comes out in February, February 2nd is by Rebecca Carroll and it's a memoir. It's called surviving the white gaze. It is about, um, a young black woman who grows up in rural New Hampshire. She is adopted into a family who is just very much into peace and love and they don't believe in population growth. So I guess that's why they have chosen to adopt her. And she talks about the isolation that she feels and how her life changes when she meets her birth mother, who's a young white woman who kind of undermines um, how she feels about herself as a black woman and how she struggles with her racial identity, struggles just with life, you know, in terms of boyfriends, struggling with depression, eating disorders, excessive drinking. And she finds, you know, she makes a choice, I think, about who her family is and how she is able to rebuild her life, I guess, with the help of this chosen family. And that's nonfiction, right? Yes, this is nonfiction. Okay. It says it's about Rebecca Rebecca Carroll recounting her painful struggle to overcome a completely white childhood in order to forge her identity as a black woman in America. Okay, so my next one, this one looks really dark. It's called Dark Horses. And it is about a 15-year-old equestrian prodigy who has basically spent her whole life training to be, you know, an equestrian. And her father has kind of, yeah, I guess he's her coach. And so he demands obedience and he's very strict. And so you have this power dynamic between um, her father and her coach, you know, coach and student and father-daughter. And apparently they have a very inappropriate relationship. So it's all about how she can break free of her you know, this very dysfunctional relationship with her father. It says the intersection of commercial page turner and urgent survivor story. It takes the searing themes of abuse and resilience and applies uh, exploration of female strength like room. Um, And it's even compared to flowers in the attic. So sounds like it's got some, you know, lots of kind of uh, unpleasant detail, but that was also hard to put down. 
So my next one is called The Power, the Power Couple by Alex Berenson. Uh, it's, it's billed as a thriller. It is about this couple who live in the sub- suburbs in a nice house in Washington, D.C. They have important government jobs. One is in counterterrorism and one works for the FBI as a coder. They, you know, the marriage is kind of troubled. And I think that they, they've drifted apart. They're not having sex and they're looking to revive their relationship. So for their 20th anniversary, they decide to take the family on a getaway, a European getaway. And they go with their kids, Kira and Tony. So they're all enjoying this vacation. And one night in Barcelona, Kira doesn't come home from the dance club. And so their marriage and relationship is tested and just, I guess, everything in the family is tested as they try to find their daughter. So it says it's a supercharged thriller about marriage and the dangerous secrets spouses keep. Hmm. How old is the daughter supposed to be? Mm, they've been married for 20 years. So I would think they would be teenagers if they're in a dance club in Barcelona. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah. So Rebecca and Brian, I guess these are, that's the couple that's married. They're struggling to come together for Kira and they realize that their marriage is even more tenuous than they realized. So I'm in the mood for a good DC story. I think a DC story that's not set in reality. (laughs) I'm always up for a good DC story. Give me all the missing teenagers. (laughs) I mean, I guess that they are moving them to Europe. So I don't know how much of DC we actually get to see, but still. Okay. Uh, my next one is called Faye Faraway. This- Ooh, I was wondering if you were going to pick that. I looked at that and I was like, oh, Gail's going to choose it. Oh, yeah. Well, I like time travel books. I'm actually reading a time travel book right now. So I'm kind of intrigued by this one too. So this is about um, a woman. She's 37 years old. She's got two daughters but her mother died when she was seven years old and she's kind of never gotten over the loss of that. And then she finds herself time traveling back to the year before her mother died. But rather than going back and becoming her younger self, she be, she's at her same age and she meets her mother. So she gets to meet her mother as an adult and sort of have a relationship with her mother, but as a grown-up, as opposed to as the seven-year-old that she was when her mother died. So the two women become close friends. They share secrets, but she's afraid of revealing the truth about her identity. And will she be able to go back in time, you know, return to her her regular time? You know, I guess it's a question of like, is she going to mess with the future? Um, I don't know. I like these kind of mind-bendy time travel stuff. So that's called Fay Far Away by Helen Fisher. Hmm. Sounds good. So my next one is Too Good to Be True by Carola Lovering. She is someone that I mentioned earlier because one of her earlier novels is going to be made into a movie. So she tells lots of twisty tales and this one is a psychological suspense about obsession, addictive love, and they say it's for fans of Lisa Jewell. And I read her book, The Family Upstairs, last year, and I liked it. 
and also the wife between us, which we, you know, is Sarah Pekinen and Greer Hendricks. So it is about a young woman named Skye who is really over, overjoyed when her boyfriend proposes to her and like wants to move the relationship along more quickly than I guess she thought it was possible. Um, she's says she's a smart and beautiful woman, but she also suffers from OCD. Uh, her boyfriend, Burke, is handsome, older, emotionally mature, and also manipulative. So she is in the process of trying to figure out who he is. There are like letters from his therapist, I think, that hint at who he is. And there's also a third perspective that is set 30 years earlier about a scrappy young woman who I think might be involved with Burke. Like she, Burke is a local bad boy and she is determined to end things with him. So of course there is this mystery over who Burke is and just what he means to the women that he's in relationship. I think it's really intriguing to have something that's with the same man set 30 years earlier and then for someone else to meet him. And he's, I guess, older and probably even more advanced in whatever he was doing than, you know, when he was younger. So, Okay. This is called Landslide by Susan Conley. It's about a mother caring for her two sons while everything else, her marriage and the fishing industry, her New England community relies on, threatens to crumble around her. So she, um, she's got these two sons, um, her husband's in the hospital, uh, after a fishing accident, money is very tight. They live in remote part of Maine and she keeps having, you know, one disaster after the next. Um, but she's just trying to figure out, you know, how can she keep her family together? And it's, you know, seems like just realistic domestic fiction. it says, there, it talks about a modern household where Instagram posts, sex positivity talks, and old fishing tales mingle to become a kind of love language, a stunning portrait of a family, and raises the question of how to remain devoted when the eye of the storm closes in. So if you are needing this type of sort of tough, realistic fiction during the pandemic, if that's what's working for you, it sounds like this would be a good one. It's by Susan Conley. I had notated this on my list. I had tried to read one of Susan Conley's book before books before. It was about, I think, a housewife who is traveling and she goes on this retreat in Thailand. It was so I couldn't finish it. It was so boring. <laughs> but I did see this that she had written another one and I kind of notated it because it did sound very interesting. And it's not like she was a bad writer. I just felt like the story was not going any place very quickly. It was a very slow moving story about these, like these housewives basically who've run away on this retreat. I believe it's in Thailand. Well, this doesn't sound particularly fast moving either. Yeah, I don't think it might. It was fast moving, but it, there's just something I think just probably because it's set in Maine, it's set in the United States. I think that there was something about it that was just kind of very foreign, you know, perspective on a foreign culture. 
And it's just kind of like these housewives lazing around in, I think it was Thailand or maybe China. They were climbing these mountains and like someone might have fallen over a mountain. It was just, I couldn't bring myself to finish it, but I don't think, you know, like I would be up for trying a different book by her. It was called Elsie Come Home. Okay. All right. That's all I have. Do you have any more? I have one more. Okay. I think. Where'd it go? Oh, yes. All Girls by Emily Layton. It's coming out in the middle of February. It is about nine. It follows nine different young women who are at a New England prep school at a time when the administration is trying to manage a scandal. You know, they don't want the scandal to come out. So it tells all the girls different stories during the months that this crisis is unfolding. So this book was recommended um, by Katie Vassell when she came on the show over the summer. And I have it. And oh, yeah, she sent it to me earlier this fall. and She said it was amazing. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So Has a great I will be on the lookout um, to pick that up. Yeah. With the plaid cover. Yep. And it's funny because I have the Goodreads page open for Landslide, the book that I just talked about. And it said, readers also enjoyed, and it put all girls there too. Mm. So clearly there's some overlap tastes for those, or, you know, themes, whatever, between those two books. So did you think that the book that you picked said anything about this moment or about where you are in this moment? I felt like I really wanted. Like, I really need books that are going to pull me along with some kind of mystery or some kind of puzzle, you know, whether it's what's going on with the this wife, her husband, and their affair, or what's going to be going on in these girls in these schools. Like, I really feel like right now, the thing that's getting it for me is something that has an element of mystery, has an element of what's going to go next. That's just helping me to flip the pages. Like anything that is just too introspective, too deep, too sad. Mm. It's just not, you know, like, so I look up at my shelves of literary fiction, I feel failed. (laughs) (laughs) I actually feel like these are the same books I would have picked this time last year. I, I, you know, it doesn't mean that my it doesn't mean that they wouldn't will necessarily work for me if I actually try to read them right now. So it may be that in the end, that's not what I want right now, but I think I'm still drawn to the same types of books I've always been drawn to. There's a lot of like domestic fiction relationships, some hint of thriller mystery, but not a lot. So I did went I went back and looked at our picks from last year for uh-huh. the, the winter preview show. And I do feel like they're a lot darker than the ones that we mentioned now. Last year's were darker. Yeah. Interesting. There were, there were heavier topics that we mentioned last year. So it could I mean, be I that. think these are books that we were all books that we're still interested in, you know, like, cause we're always interested in the domestic suspense. I always do like mysteries and things, but I do think that there's just like the concentration of things has shifted and that they were a little bit lighter. It could be that that marketers or publishers are holding on the darker stuff so that this is, we pick these because that's what's available to us, you know? 
Well, I mean, I always think that in the winter there is, uh, like, I do think that there's just more domestic suspense, thrillers, and crime fiction in the winter. Like, I pulled up our 2020 winter book preview. We had The Girl with the Louding Voice. You had just read Weather. I had read Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Um, The Current, like, is about these two women who go into a river and the implications for the town and some other mysterious things that have happened to women. Light changes everything. Um, so those are the books we were reading. So on our list, Deacon King Kong, we had Uncanny Valley. Lakewood is kind of dark, minor feelings. I don't know. They just seemed to have... More heft? More heft. Like, Yeah. Hood Feminism, The Glass Hotel, Apartment by Teddy Wayne, The Girl with the Louding Voice. Just much, much, yeah. Yeah, there's, there was definitely a shift. Like I said, there's not like, we mentioned anything that's wildly different than, than we would, but I do think that it is a little bit more accessible and a bit lighter. Mm-hmm. Well, might just be, that's the, that's the fair being offered to us right now. Well, for me, I think it was purposeful. Like, I think that there were definitely books that, would have gone deeper, but I don't know that I'm doing yeah. that great with those kinds of books. So it'll definitely be interesting to see when we come into the new year and hopefully have a fresher start and you know, people are healthier and able to be vaccinated and you know, we begin the trek towards a more normal life to see if I go back to that deeper fare or if I'm just gonna be <laughs> This is it. This is our new reality. Reading all of Ruth Ware's. Right. <laughs> and not Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a lot of good stuff coming up. So I look forward to. Yeah, lots to look forward to. So until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.